Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. I'm recording this week's Metal Matters on the way back from mining in Daba in Cape Town. Many thanks to those who attended the BMO reception or came to see me at various presentations and panels held during the event. So what were the key learnings? Sadly, the problems in South Africa were certainly to the fore. Issues with transnet logistics are ongoing and many companies were complaining that mining talent was being lost to overseas operations in higher numbers than ever seen before. Biggest issue though, well, that continues to be the power sector and aggressive load shedding is set to continue over the coming months. So, how do we offset this? The barriers to mining companies generating their own electricity have been removed, given ESCOM's challenges, though this will not be an overnight fix. In fact, as a seasoned industry analyst noted to me at Indaba, South African mining companies are now providing local communities with jobs, healthcare, schools, water, security, and now electricity. In effect, they are now providing the function of a government but still paying taxes rather than actually collecting them. Compared to previous mining in Dabas, there was probably a little less ESG and, and battery materials focus, and a little more critical minerals and responsible sourcing in the agenda, which reflects where we are in the geopolitical policy cycle. One overarching theme was definitely the lack of investment in mining, which I, I, mean, I certainly agree with. I would note, though, that the reasons why we're not seeing this mining investment and the challenges to making this happen are maybe not as widely understood. A couple more things. I mean, at the Indaba Trade Fair, I always like to see who has the largest stands. This year, Saudi Arabia and the DRC were very much to the fore. And also Botswana, Angola and Germany had notably large delegations. And the final thing, well, for the past couple of years, we haven't really seen anyone from the US or anyone from China mining Indaba. Both were there in force and trying to make points across, which shows where we are in the geopolitical spectrum at the moment as the battle for critical materials picks up pace. The nickel market is always fun for commodities analysts like myself, and the word fun there was definitely in inverted commas. To be fair, the underlying fundamentals are actually fine, if increasingly complex given the multiple forms of nickel now being produced and consumed. But the policy changes and the lack of exchange liquidity are the stuff of nightmares. So now we have the Philippines government considering actions to encourage investments and processing facilities, which could set the stage for yet another temporary disruption in the nickel supply chain. Of course, this tactic worked for Indonesia, which by restricting supply and forcing investment in nickel, well, the nickel product terms of trade rose by $30 billion. But Indonesia had some relative benefits. They had a first mover advantage. They had openness to Chinese investment, arguably lower environmental pressures from communities, greater coal availability for power plants, and higher grade ore than that seen on average in the Philippines. And this allowed a phase process to boost domestic capacity, both for nickel pig iron, stainless steel, and we would expect in time, battery grade nickel. To put things in context, Indonesia currently represents about 46% of mined nickel units, the Philippines only 14%. What would happen if we saw full Filipino ore export ban? Well, it would have an impact. 80% of China's nickel pig iron is currently manufactured from Filipino ore. And this could cause temporary supply shortages of the like we saw in 2014 after the first Indonesian ban. An export tax, though, which is another of the options aired by the Filipino government, 
that would simply add to the cost of NPI manufacture in China and thus through cycle cost equilibrium. Bear in mind, we do think the marginal cost of producing nickel pig iron in China is a good anchor for the nickel market price as a whole. And just to talk to the near-term nickel demand side in China for a second, well, the positive is that stainless steel output in January was back positive year-on-year again. The negative, though, EV sales looked to have fallen by around 6% after the central government subsidy was cut, though that may have a lot to do with the Lunar New Year holiday. After a quiet few months, interest in the uranium market has returned, and there are a number of reasons for this. Firstly, a number of countries around the world are implementing nuclear reactor extensions in order to boost energy security. Belgium was the latest to announce such a plan, with France, Japan and the US already having moved in this direction. Now, somewhat linked to this, term contracting activity by utilities has returned in force. Industry consultant UXC, they published its uh, latest review of 2022 activity in this area and total term contracting volume came in at over £113 million of UCO8 equivalent. That's 58% higher year on year. The number of contract awards at 61 was at the highest level since 2006 and for the third year in a row, US utilities, which we typically view as the incremental buyer in the uranium market, increased purchase volumes and accounted for 61% of the entire total contracting volume. It's also interesting to note that producers accounted for 86% of sales. That's up from only 64-65% over 2020-2021, while those term contracting sales from intermediaries actually dropped. My view that the uplift in term contracting will give incumbent uranium producers more confidence to return idle capacity to this market. In terms of the spot price right here and now, however, more important has been the return of financial market purchases. The Sprott Fiscal Trust has bought around £1.6 million of uranium since mid-January. Yellowcake has just agreed to take £1.35 million of UCO8 following a finance raise. While the uranium market as a whole still has sufficient inventory, these purchases do remove free float material and will naturally make utilities more nervous. The uranium market will be in another large deficit this year, but we don't yet see the need for incremental mine supply over and above that coming from the major companies. The longer term, however, to support small modular reactor growth and potential exports of China's nuclear reactor technology, additional supply will definitely be needed. Uranium continues to be an improving longer term thematic play across metals and mining. Finally this week, I want to spend a minute on the global 2022 crude steel output numbers released at the end of January. Wasn't a great year for steel. The output fell 4.2% year-on-year to around 1.88 billion tonnes. Blast furnace iron output fell 3.8% year-on-year. That's to around 1.28 billion tonnes. However, for me, what was more interesting was the cross-regional weakness in December's numbers. Output of 1.657 million tonnes per annum was down 11% year-on-year. That's a drop only surpassed in recent history by April 2020, so the height of the first COVID lockdowns. But it was really the consistency of that decline. Europe dropped 18% year-on-year, North America 10%, Japan 13%, South Korea 12%, China 10%. It's rare to see such weakness across all key regions. It makes me even more convinced there was a destock through the steel value chain into year-end as mills sought to minimise working capital. Also note that global steel exports remained weak into year-end despite relatively strong China numbers. 
One other quick thing to note from these global numbers, the alternative iron-making renaissance continued. Global direct reduced iron output rose above 120 million tonnes for the first time, and we expect further gains towards 200 million tonnes over the coming years. DRI is an important transition technology towards a lower carbon steel industry, particularly if it can be enriched with hydrogen. This, in turn, should support high-grade iron ore premiums over the coming decade. Thank you for listening to this week's Metal Matters. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear me address, just get in touch directly. I do hope you can join me next time around to discuss more pertinent issues for the global metals and bulk commodity markets. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton at bmo.com. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure.